This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Escape was a radio's leading anthology series of high-adventure radio dramas airing on CBS from July 7th of 47 to September 25th of 1954. Now, since the program didn't have a regular sponsor like Spence, it was subjected to frequent schedule shifts and lower production budgets, although Richfield Oil signed on as a sponsor for five months in 1950, the very year we visit the program tonight. Now, despite these problems, Escape enthralled many listeners during its seven-year run. Actors on the series include some very famous names, William Conrad, Frank Lovejoy, and Jack Webb, to name a few. The announcers were Paul Fries and Roy Rowan. And now the episode, The Man Who Works Miracles. You, finding life rather dull, dreaming again of exotic places, wishing you were somewhere else, we offer you Escape. Escape with us now to a placid English village and the company of an equally placid little man who one day shook the world, as H.G. Wells told it in his delightful story, The Man Who Could Work Miracles. Now, I might say right in the beginning that I ain't the kind of chap who has a naturally argumentative disposition. Oh, no. Quite the contrary. I'm a reasonable man who always takes proper thought before he speaks. I'm one who has a due respect for scientific truth. Why, I ain't never opened my mouth to utter a word that wasn't a pure, undiluted effect. That's what you say. Howsoever... When a man of inferior intellect, such as Toddy Bemis has showed himself to be more than once, when a man like that insists upon airing his ridiculous opinions in a public place such as the Long Dragon Bar, then I've got no choice but to confound him with the superior knowledge which I possesses. So you say. That's right, so I say. And if you can't contribute nothing but the same three words to this discussion, I'll thank you to admit you're defeated and shut your mouth. Well, now, Mr. Fulfengay... Well, I ask you, Constable. I'm only trying to enlighten the man from the bog of ignorance he's a-floundering in, and he keeps coming up with his infernal, so you say. Well, I'm a-wasting me words, that's all. It finds it off and flowed across this bar the way words do. They're not a retired years ago. <laughs> Speaking of half and half... I'll have another of the same if you don't mind, Mr. Ingeese. Quite well, Constable. By all rights, Toddy Beamish, I shouldn't be wasting my time on you. 
But out of the goodness of my heart, I'll do it anyhow. Suit yourself. Hmm. Now, let's take, for example, that pint of hail that you're holding in your hand. It's pretty annoying, empty. <laughs> well, now, supposing, for instance, if that hail was to turn into wine. I never cared much for wine. Always like gale, Betty. <laughs> now, if that hail was to turn into wine, then you'd have a miracle. So you say. So anybody says. Or, or, or take that master padlock on Miss Bridges' cash box. Now, if anyone could open that without a proper key, that'd be a ruddy miracle. You keep the <laughs> long dragon out of this. Well, perhaps you ain't even aware of the proper definition of what a miracle is, her Mr. Beamish. Well, some is one kind and some is another, in a manner of speaking. If anybody left so much as tuppence on the bars of tip, that'd be a miracle, all right. Well, be that as it may. But a miracle ain't of one kind or another, oh no. A true miracle is something contrary-wise to the course of nature, done by the power of will. Something what couldn't happen without being specially willed to happen. And miracles ain't possible. That is, the laddies, you know. Well, I wouldn't go so far as to say they ain't. It's your ignorance that's talking. Now, look. You see that lamp sitting there on the end of the bar, burning as bright as you please? I'll see it right in there. Well, now, that lamp in the natural course of nature couldn't burn like that if it was turned upside down and hanging in the hair. You say it couldn't. Mr. Beamish, do you mean to tell me... All that... right, all right, maybe it couldn't. And if it did, that would be a miracle. Very well. Now... Supposing somebody was to come along, that take me, for instance, and he pointed his finger at that lamp like this and said, Turn upside down. <laughs> now, if the... I can't keep it up there much longer. Uh, remarkable, it's highly remarkable. Uh, stop it now, Mr. Fotheringay. Stop it immediately. That's my official order. Well, look out, Constable. Look out. There it goes. Uh, oh. 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 Now, see what you've done, Mr. Fotheringay. My best lamp chimney. Clean no more than an hour ago. Smashed to smithereens. But I, I didn't try to do it. Oh, you know, you might have caught the place afire. Most irregular. And illegal besides, like as not. No more of it now. Do you understand? But I tell you, I didn't mean for you it You and to... your silly conjuring tricks. But all I done was to point my finger at it like that. Yes, stop I... it now. Don't you dare. Well, that's all I've done. In that case, Mr. Fothingay, you defeat your own argument right out of your own mouth. And how is that, might I ask? If it weren't caused by some form of trickery, then what happened to that lamp was a miracle. Now then, I ain't to hold him with no blooming miracles. Held with him or not, as the case might be, Mr. Fothingay, but you just stood right there and performed a real, true, honest, genuine miracle. It weren't a matter of being asked to leave the Long Dragon, you understand. I'd already had my mind set on going anyhow. A place what's full of ignorant superstition ain't the kind of place for a man of rational intellect to be doing his thinking in. And thinking was just what was called for. On the one hand, I wasn't ready to swallow no miracle theory, but on the other hand, I wasn't able to recollect no scientific principle that might account for that which had occurred. As you might say, the question had dissolved itself into a dilemma. Well, me landlady, Mrs. Tetherington, was sitting up in the parlour when I come in. Good evening, Mr. Fotheringay. But I can't recall saying anything to her. Very well, Mr. Fotheringay. I went straight to my own room, closed me door and lit the candle. 
Then I sat on the edge of my bed, grappling with the problem in a heroic fashion and trying to puzzle out the ultimate solution. Well, now, that wasn't no easy thing to do. It couldn't have happened, but it had happened. Which ain't logic, no matter how you look at it. Why, it'd be the same situation if I was to point my finger at that candle there and say, be raised up in the air. <laughs> Blimey. Hanging there like a blooming firefly. But it's contrary. There it goes. No, now, black as you're at. Oh, dear, now, where in the tarnation did that confounded thing get to? <laughs> well, at any rate, there should be some matches around here somewhere. Oh, here. Maybe I could... Yes. Let there be a match in me, hand. <laughs> well, now, just like that. Oh, the safety match. Not a blooming good that's going... Oh! Oh, dear, uh, half a Mona. Uh, maybe I don't need a match. Maybe I could... Yeah. Candle, wherever you are, be lighted. <laughs> yeah, now, not in the middle of my bed. None of that now. Oh. Well, open it up. It isn't locked. Mr. Fotheringay, might I inquire what's going on up here? Can't you recognise a man who's got his hands full of troubles? Mr. Fotheringay, why is smoke coming out of that bed? Because it caught on fire, that's why. My wall comforter with all burned in it. Taking lighted candles to bed with you indeed. I'm not taking no candles nowhere and I'll thank you to leave me the privacy of my own bedchamber. You've been drinking. On the contrary, I've been cogitating upon matters of science, which is far beyond the range of your feeble uh, intellect. Well... Mrs. Tetherington, I might remind you that good steady rumours such as a man like myself ain't so easy to come by nowadays, with which I will bid you a highly a respectful a good a night. Well... Well, <laughs> old vulture. Don't know who she's talking to. Me. A bloke what's only got to point his finger and say, B? And it is. Oh, blimey. If I ain't suddenly got the power to perform miracles. Real, genuine miracles. Escape under the direction of Norman MacDonald returns in just a moment. Tomorrow, New Year's Day, CBS will bring you exclusively the broadcast of the Rose Bowl game between the University of Michigan and the University of California. Don't miss this colorful, exciting event, the Rose Bowl game. Michigan, the Western Conference champions against California, fighting for the West Coast's first victory in the present series. It'll be here tomorrow, New Year's Day, on most of these same CBS stations. And now, back to Escape. Well, next evening after work, I went walking down the lane that leads around Millsdale's Pond, attempting to put me mental processes into order, as you might say. Mostly, I kept trying to cogitate on some honest to Betsy miracle that I might up and perform. But it ain't such an easy matter for a chap who's unaccustomed to goings-on of that nature. No, what I wanted was the genuine article. You understand, no, no little shenanigans, but one to make people stop and say, Blimey now, if that ain't a real downright miracle for you. And then, all of a sudden, I had it. 
I just happened to recollect a chap somewhere who stuck his staff in the ground and commanded it to blossom. So, I poked my walking stick into the edge of the turf, I backed off a wee bit, and I pointed my finger at it and said, Walking stick, become a blooming bush of flowering posies. <laughs> ah, roses, by heaven. I done it, just like that fellow in the opera. Now then. What's all this here? Oh, Constable Winch, confound that man anyhow. Cease and desist, whatever it is, in the name of the law. Here, you, you there, Rosebush, go back now, fast. Have a mind there, who it is you're throwing. Bramble bushes, that. There. Oh, confound you, blundering idiot. Who's conducting nefarious activities under the cover of darkness? Assaulting an officer engaged in the pursuit of his natural... Well, so it's you, Mr. Fotheringay. The fact, being self-evident, Mr. Winch, I will not bother myself to answer. So you'll not bother yourself to answer, eh? And maybe you'll also deny that you just threw a great heavy mass of foliage at me? I do deny it. Then no doubt it just up and flew through the air, all by itself. A constable Winch, you have just hit the ruddy nail right on the head. Uh, oh, some more of them blasted anky pan conjuring tricks of yours. Is that it? On the contrary, it was merely a small miracle. You don't say so. In which case, his honour might enjoy hearing you tell about it. So come along. I'll do nothing of the sort. Oh, oh, resist you in officer. That'll be another charge against oh, you. Charge, indeed. <laughs> Mr. Winch, you can yes. take your charges and, and go to Hades. Hey, hey, hey um, Constable. Oh, Mr. Winch. Oh, blimey, if you ain't gone and disappeared completely. Like. Now, I wonder if he... I'm thinking this medical business is a bit touchy. Why, a man might find himself in a whole peck of trouble before he learns the knack of the thing. Oh, I'd better go and get myself some real professional advice right away. to you, friend. A very pleasant evening to you. Uh, and the same to you as many of them, Mr. Maitig. Uh, that is, uh, your reverendship. Oh, no, no, no formality now. None at all. You just call me Mr. Maitig. Oh, well, now, thank you kindly, your uh, Maitigship. Won't you step inside? Uh, I'm much obliged to you, Mr. Reverendship. Uh, this way, Mr. Oh, I can't say that I caught the name. Fotheringay. A George, a W, a Fotheringay. Oh, yes, yes. Not from my parish. Well, uh, yes, yes, I attended services <coughs> last Christmas. Indeed. So many people did last Christmas. Well, here we are, Mr. Bothering Bay. Uh, take a chair. Uh, it's uh, a fothering again. Oh, no, 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 not, not that one. <laughs> it's we. I've often thought of doing something about it uh, sometime. Uh, yes, yes, that one's fine. Well, uh... uh if you remind me before I leave, Mr. Mayship, and I'll put that little piece of furniture to rights for you. Oh, then you're a carpenter. Well, only in a manner of speaking, as you might say. Mm -hmm. Well, now, uh, Mr. Mothering's, eh? 
feel entirely free to lay your burdens upon my shoulders. Uh, well, the fact is, uh, the matter which I come here to talk about might be considered of a somewhat uh, a delicate nature. Oh, you think nothing of it. Uh, please feel free to speak, uh, uh, Will, uh, freely. My housekeeper retires very early. Oh, oh, no, your reverendship. Nothing like that. Well, then, uh, like, like, like what? Uh... Well, the subject about which I'm inquiring is miracles. Miracles, yes, yes, indeed. Miracles? Uh, any special kind of miracles? Oh, yes. The kind which I perform myself. I see. And what sort of miracles do you perform? Well, for one thing, I've uh, just finished sending Constable Winch to Hades. Hades? Yeah. Indeed. Of course, when I realised what had happened, I had him transferred to San Francisco, uh, wherever that is. I'm sure he'll like San Francisco much better. Uh, I see you don't believe me. I can't say I blame you either. Well, after all, Mr. Dothering Lave. Uh, Fotheringay? Well, very well, there's nothing else to do but for me to up and perform a few miracles before we go any further. Well, that's, uh, that's very interesting, I'm sure. Well, now... Now, you take that jar of tobacco there on the table, for instance. Now, suppose I just point my finger at it like this and become a bowl of violets. Well, that's very interesting. Ah, oh. see? A bowl of violets. Gorblot. <clears throat> I mean, uh, so it is. Of course, it ain't nothing very spectacular, Your Reverendship, but it's the sort of miracle a man can pass without tangling himself up in a mass of trouble. It's extraordinary. Very... Uh, well, uh, extraordinary. Uh, uh, you can see for yourself, they're uh, real violets. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Now, mm. uh, you take this for example. Oh. Um, become a bowl of fish. <laughs> no, 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 not that kind. Live fish in a goldfish bowl, swimming around. Now. <laughs> uh, uh. That's better. It's amazing. Uh, how did you do it? Just told it to. That's all? That's all. When I tells a thing to do it, it does it. It was incredible. Come on me sudden, like you might say. Um, well, I'd like to know if it's real, genuine miracles or if it ain't. Well, uh, uh, well, well seeing as how miracles ought to come under your reverendship's special province, more or less. Well, uh, yes, yes, indeed. Um, uh, however, usually in a somewhat more uh, academic fashion, uh, these are more, well, uh, more astonishing. Well, as far as I can tell, there ain't no limit to it. Like, for instance, uh, a, a bowl of fish. Turn into a pigeon. Oh, good heavens. Oh, look at the thing. I say. You know, none of that. You stay away from Mr. Maydick now. Well, perhaps I'd best uh, become that same uh, uh, jar of tobacco again. Well, Reverend, what do you think about it? It's amazing. It's the most extraordinary thing I've ever seen in my life. Ever expected to see you. I, I, I got to think about it and consider the possibilities. Well, I might come back in the morning. Oh, no, 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 I wouldn't hear of it. Um, look here, I was about to dine when you rang. I uh, wonder if you'd join me. Of course, I'm afraid there's only cold mutton. Well, now, uh, perhaps there's something else you might like uh, better. Oh, anything. Frankly, I've grown to hate the sight of that. But you don't mean that. But why not? Just name it. Um... <laughs> A pheasant. I haven't tasted a pheasant in years. Oh, well, then now is the time. Let there be a pheasant on the table. <laughs> no, 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 not, not like that. Let it be dead and roasted and ready to eat. 
Look at it. Oh, it's beautiful. Mm, smells good, too. Perhaps we'd better, uh, yes. Let there be two pheasants. <laughs> and, uh, and, and truffles. And truffles. <laughs> and maybe some uh, oysters. Two dozen oysters. Oh, I love oysters. Oh. Yeah, we'd better make it three dozen. Oh, and, and some cheddar. Oh, we must have some cheddar. Oh, yes. A pound of cheddar. <laughs> and now, what to drink, your referendship? Uh, champagne? <laughs> well, well, I really shouldn't. <laughs> well, perhaps a small bottle of Moselle. Six bottles of Moselle. Oh. A keg of starch <laughs> and a case of champagne. <laughs> wasn't no mistake about it. I'd come to the right place for certain. Once Mr. Maydig got over his first astonishment, he turned out full of ideas for brand new miracles. Things I might never have thought of, like as not. Well, we polished off that meal in no time at all. And an hour later, we was out walking in the dark streets of the village, turning out miraculous jobs so fast I fairly wore out my finger appointing with it. I couldn't begin to tell you all the things we'd done there in a couple of hours, but, well... We installed a new railway line. We drained Flinders Swamp and turned it into a meadow. We cured the vicar's warts, paved all the roads, eliminated taxation, reformed the Lord Mayor, and made all the girls in the village beautiful. Oh, these weren't any of your eightney miracles. All of these, these were big. And we went right on turning them out, one every two minutes, just as regular as clockwork. By midnight, we passed clean through the village, and we were walking along the lane by Millsdale's Pond, fairly tired out by all of that thinking and pointing and performing of miracles. Uh, Mr. Fotheringay, I've just thought of another one. Oh, indeed. And what might it be? Uh, the village clock. Uh, listen to it Oh, it's terrible. Oh, that's true enough. It hasn't got a very melodious sound to it. Then, let's give them a good clock. A great, rich, booming one, shall we? All right, Mr. Maydig. Uh... Let that there clock become a genuine London-style cathedral clock. <laughs> oh, that's much better. Much better. Oh, the people of this village are going to have a big surprise when they wake up in the morning. After all we've done for them tonight. Well, I might say that there's one or two things that we've done that I ain't so sure about, like... Uh... Turning every drop of alcoholic beverage into plain water, for instance. Oh, there's nothing to worry about, Mr. Fotheringay. You can always turn out a miraculous pint or two for your own purposes, and, and, and it will reform all the drunkards in the village. Well, perhaps so. At any rate, we might as well wait and see what comes of it. Well, what do we perform next? Well, I really don't know. I can't think of another single miracle that we haven't all written. Half a moment, Mr. Maydig. Yes, yes, yes. I just thought of one of my own I'd better take care of. Oh? Yeah. Let Constable Winch be right back in San Francisco again. <laughs> See, he might be catching a boat or a train or something. You understand. I mean, I, I thought the best idea is just to keep sending him back there every once in a while. No, mm -hmm. oh, I doubt that you have anything to worry about. San Francisco is some distance away, you know. Uh, I, I, I keep trying to think of one more miracle. A big one. Something worthy of ending the night with, but I... Oh... Well, now, huh? I say, there is one, you know. Oh, such as? You see that moon, Mr. Fotheringay? 
Naturally. Now, I aren't a fool by the looks of it. Remember Joshua? 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 Oh, now, come off it now. <laughs> it would be a wondrous thing to see. Well, now, that's a pretty tall order, making the moon stand still. Oh, actually, it only appears to stand still. What really happens is that the, the Earth stops rotating. Well, I think we'd better not go monkeying around with the universe. Well, you probably don't have the power to do it anyway. It's really a superior class of miracle, you know. Oh, I've got the power, all right, but I'm not so sure it's a good idea. I could do it if I wanted to. Oh, oh, yes. Yes, of course you could. Well, perhaps we'd better get along home. Well, I don't know now. I, I might just leave it stopped for a little while. If, if you could stop it at all. Oh, well, now, if that's the way you feel, you just take a look at this. Eh? The whole blinking world? Stop rotating! <laughs> Here, now. What's all this? I, I didn't order no wind. Bothering girl! What have you done? I don't rightly know. Look out, things are starting to blow loose. Oh, you confounded, blundering idiot. You. Uh, duck your head. Here comes the Lord Mayor's sheep. Uh, uh, duck yourself. Here comes the Lord Mayor. Uh, oh, you better lie down in the ditch before we get blown away. Oh, it's getting worse all the time. I can't seem to pull my wits together. Oh, I got it. When the earth stopped rotating, everything on the surface kept right on moving. Five, six hundred miles an hour. Houses, cows, the wind, everything. It's a scientific principle. And a lot of good that does. Stop it, man. Do something. Mr. Maydick. Wow, Mr. Maydick. Oh, blimey, if he ain't blown clean away. Gone. Oh, now I've got myself a fine, into a fine kettle of fish for certain. If, if only there weren't so much confusion, perhaps I could... Oh, ah, that's it. It's, it's the only answer. All right, now. Let, let nothing happen until I say the word go. And when I do, let everything go back exactly like it was just before I turned that blooming lamp upside down to the long dragon bar. And at the same time, let me lose this here miraculous power complete like. Just forget all about it. You got it now? Everything just as it were. No more miracles. Just let me forget the whole thing. All right, then. You ready? Go! <laughs> That's only what you say. And the same as anybody else might say who's got the least bit of scientific knowledge inside of their thicker heads. Aren't I right, Constable Winch? Uh, couldn't actually say, Mr. Fotheringay. The subject ain't exactly in my province, you know. <clears throat> now that are the same as Bridget. Right, you know, Constable Winch. Irregardless, Mr. Beamish, miracles ain't possible. So you say. Perhaps you don't even know what a miracle is. Perhaps if I was to point my finger at that lamp there on the bar and tell it to turn upside down, I suppose you think it might do it. Well, I wouldn't say it wouldn't. You wouldn't say it wouldn't, Mr. Toddy Beamish. You haven't got a brain in your head. And I'm only wasting the time trying to enlighten you. There you are, Mrs. Miss Bridges. Thank you kindly, Mr. Fotheringay. I'll be dropping in again when the place ain't quite so crowded. And so I bid you all a respectful good night. <laughs> well, Tuddy, I'd say you got the best of the argument tonight. Glory be, will you take a look at this? What's up, Miss Bridges? Sixpence. He left me sixpence right here on the bar, big as anything. And so he did. The luck of it ain't never happened before. Saints preserve us if it ain't a downright blooming miracle. That's what it is, a downright blooming miracle.
Under the direction of Norman MacDonald, Escape has brought you The Man Who Could Work Miracles by H.G. Wells, especially adapted for Escape by Les Crutchfield. Ben Wright was starred as George Fotheringay. Featured in the cast were John Daner, Lou Krugman, Eileen Erskine, and Wilms Herbert. The special music for Escape was composed and adapted by Del Castillo. Next week, escape with us to the windswept peak of Mount Everest and the story of a man who sacrificed everything to climb it. As Leonard Lee tells it in his gripping story, Conquest. Stay tuned for Fibber McGee and Molly next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Fibber McGee and Molly. He was a staple of the NBC Red Network for the show's entire run and one of the most popular and enduring radio series of its time. The title characters were created and portrayed by Jim and Marion Jordan, a real-life husband and wife team that had been working in radio since the 1920s. They were both natives of Peoria, Illinois. Now, Jim wanted to be a singer. Marion, the daughter of a coal miner, wanted to be a music teacher. Marion's parents had attempted to discourage their professional singing and acting aspirations. And when she started seeing young Jim Jordan, the Driscolls were far from approving of Jim and his ideas. Jim's voice teacher gave him a recommendation for work as a professional in Chicago, and he followed it. He was able to have steady work, but soon tired of the life on the road. In less than a year, Jim came back to Peora, uh, that is Peoria, and went to work for the post office. His occupation was now acceptable to Marion's parents, and they stopped objecting to the couple's marriage plans. Five days after the wedding, Jim received the draft notice. He was sent to France and became part of a military touring group that entertained the armed forces after World War I. When Jim came home from France, he and Marion decided to try their luck with the Vaudeville Act. They had two children, and finding that pretty tough going. Marion stayed with the kids for a while, while Jim performed as a solo act. Then Marion and the children joined him on the road for a short time, but the couple had to admit defeat when they found themselves in Lincoln, uh, Illinois, in 1923, with two small children and no funds. While staying with Jim's brother in Chicago in 1924, the family was listening to the radio, and Jim said that he and Marion could do better than the musical act currently on the air. Jim's brother bet him ten bucks they could not. And to win the bet, Jim and Marion went to WIBO, where they were immediately put on the air. At the end of the performance, the station offered the couple a contract for a weekly show, which paid ten dollars per week. And the rest, as they say, is history. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Marion and Jim Jordan as Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, the King's Men, and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with Do It Again.
When a man travels, he wants to know exactly where he is. When a woman travels, she wants to know exactly what to wear. And here at 79 Wistful Vista, one studying a road map and the other cutting out a dress for a vacation wardrobe, each intent on his own business, we find Fibber McGee and Molly. See now, we proceed along Highway 99 for 122 miles, then turn left at a red schoolhouse for a distance of five inches down to the hips. <laughs> then detour 20 miles because the regular road has six buttonholes. <laughs> now let me see. They start at the neckline and stop at the Patty Cake Hotel in there. <laughs> Where the manager will greet you... With a belt in the back. Huh? <laughs> ah, dear. McGee, I'm afraid this dress pattern is a little too complicated for me. I'd have to call the dressmaker after all. Hand me the phone. Okay, Ma. Here. <laughs> Thank you. Hello, operator. Give me Miss Amelia Featherstitch at Wistful Vista 687... What? Oh, is that you, Mert? <laughs> Heavenly day. How's every little thing, Mert? It is, huh? What's that? Oh, not really. Oh, that's terrible, oh, Mert. Well, well, what is it, Molly? Quiet, McGee, huh? quiet. Tell me that again, Myrtle. Yes. Oh. Yes. Oh, dear, how perfectly awful. Oh, oh, come on, Molly, I always tell you. What say, Myrtle? Yes, it simply ruins everything for me, Dad Rattus. <laughs> all my plans and work and all. Hey, Molly, for the love of Mike, what happened? Well, Mert says skirts are going to be two inches longer this year. Shucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it ain't as good as the stuff I do with Mert. <laughs> what, Myrtle? Oh, the dressmaker doesn't answer. Well, thank you anyway. Goodbye. <laughs> Well, McGee, you're going to have to help me with this dress. Okay, thread me a needle and I'll show you how my famous speedboat stitch goes. Speedboat stitch? Yeah, 40 knots an hour. <laughs> oh, Don't you get it, Molly? Knots? You said... Ain't funny, McGee. <laughs> Helped a little bit. It's getting near the end of the season and every laugh counts. <laughs> Besides, I don't want to help. Uh, I don't want you to help me sew. I want you to slip this dress on so I can see how I'm doing. Okay, just. How am I doing, by the yeah. way? Yeah. <laughs> just... Hey, what did you say? <laughs> me put that dress on? Yeah. Oh no, no, sir, not me. Why? What if somebody should come in? And I've been on this show too long to think they won't. <laughs> Now, listen, don't be silly. Take your vest off and slip this dress on. Oh, Molly, I don't want to slip into no dress. Gee, Willick. McGee, <laughs> you owe me that much. Why do I? Well, now, who was it that ruined my dress form by shooting it full of arrows? <laughs> Tell me that. Well, it was me in Gildersleeve. The chucks, it was the only thing we could find to shoot at. Two grown men shooting bows and arrows. For shame. Well, Gildersleeve had to do something with that bow and arrow. He bought it for his father for Father's Day, and his father couldn't use it. Why not? The instruction says to hold the bow in the left hand, the arrow in the right hand, and draw the feathered end back as far as the teeth. And he just couldn't do it. No... No strength? No teeth. <laughs> now, see here, dearie, that's enough nonsense. Here, slip this on. Oh, no, I, I don't want to... Ah, uh, okay. 
but, but lock the door first and pull down the shade. I will not. Anybody think this was the first time you ever had a dress on? When did I ever? You remember that masquerade party you went to as Mary Pickford? <laughs> yeah, that was different. I was coy that night. <laughs> I was just Take wearing... off your vest. Oh, now, Molly. That's better. Now hold your arms oh, up. Okay. That's a nice boy. Fine job for a man. Put... McGee, stand still a minute. Oh, well. There. Oh, my, it looks lovely on you, dear. Shucks. <laughs> oh, my gosh, where can I hide? Where can I hide me, Molly? Oh, Quick. hush, hush, hush. Come in. It's the Bob Hope program. No, this is the Fibber McGee and Molly program. Oh, I saw you two girls through the window and thought it was Brenda and Cabina. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's enough. I've had enough. Hey, Billy Mills. Yeah? What are you going to play while I take this dress off? Outside of that, I love you. Oh! Buffalo. And... All right, McGee. Put the map down. Huh? I want you to try the dress on again. What? No, sir. Oh, come on. I ain't going to not again. Gee whiz, Molly, you want me to grow up to be a sissy? Well, it'd be nice if you just grew up. <laughs> don't be so... Oh, don't... Come in. Hi, mister. Oh, hello there, little girl. What you doing? Well, I was just about to put on my dress... Er, uh, oh, <laughs> nothing. Why? Well... George is Isopolis and Willie Toops and I are getting up a game of run, keep run, and we need a fourth. You want to play with me? <laughs> no, I don't think so. What made you think of me? Oh, I don't know, mister. We just tried to think of somebody we knew who looked kind of sheepish, I guess. <laughs> well, gee, thanks, sis. You mean I'm sort of gentle and kind and useful? <laughs> no. You're kind of dumb and frisky and always need a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, I get it. Now, suppose you go play your mutton, mutton, who's got the mutton someplace else. Huh? <laughs> 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 I says go someplace else. Now, look, sis, let's not quarrel. After all, we're going on a vacation next week, and I don't want to have any hard feelings. Okay, mister. Okay. Okay. Let's bury the machine gun, huh? <laughs> you mean bury the hatchet? Oh, I know, but hats, it always sounds so corny somehow. Oh, no, it don't. Oh, yes, it does. Oh, no, it don't. Oh, yes, it does. Oh, no, it Oh, say, mister. Huh? I got a phonograph in my bedroom, and you know what? No, what? My mama bought a recording of one of your broadcasts, and... She plays it for me sometimes, I bet. Oh, she does, eh? When you've been a good girl? No, when I've been bad. Huh? 
Boy, does that keep me in line. I just can't take it. Go on. If all the fresh kids like her were placed end-to-end, what I couldn't do with a hairbrush. Come on, McGee. Slip the dress on again. Oh, Molly, I don't want to put that... Think of my dignity. Think of my pride. Think of the three bucks I'm saving on a dressmaker. Huh? Oh, well, there's that, too, I guess. Okay, I'll do it. Slip the garment to me, varmint. Take that cigar out of your mouth first. Okay. Hold your arms way up now. Okay. Up higher. Stop wiggling. Huh? Thought you had to wiggle putting on a dress. You always do. <laughs> Never mind what I always do. There, now don't sit down for a few minutes. I don't want it all split out in the hips. Why, Mrs. McGee, are you insinuating that I'm broader across the pistol pockets than you are? Well, I not only think that. Oh, shucks, here comes somebody again. I'll run up Oh, stop fussing. Just turn around and face the wall. Come in. Hello there, daughter. Hello, Johnny. Oh, excuse me, ma'am. Where's Johnny, daughter? Why, he, uh... Oh, never mind, Molly. I'll come out. As long as it's just him. Well, here I am, old-timer. You want to make something out of it? <laughs> nope. <laughs> but you do kind of look like a one-man revolt against Father's Day, Johnny. <laughs> well, don't get the idea that he's enjoying wearing that dress, Mr. Old-timer. No, I ain't exactly what you might call slip-happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good, Jenny. Er, Johnny. <laughs> That ain't the way I heard it. The way I heard it, one feller says to other feller, Hey, says, This here's the next to last Primer McGee and Molly broadcast till after vacation, ain't it? Yep, says to other feller. They only have one more week's show. <laughs> you see, kids, the, the point of the joke was in the phrase, week's show. Sort of a, a pun, you know. The casual li- listener would think it meant W-E-A-K, you see? Oh, That's stop explaining huh? those jokes. <laughs> that better we catch on to them. All right, Johnny. Just didn't want you to muff it, that's all. Well, so long, daughter. Keep your girdle down, Johnny. <laughs> Keep your temper down, McGee. He was just kidding. Well, He's really a very nice old man. Yeah, he'd be a very clean-cut sort of a guy if I had a razor handy. Stop waving your arms around in my new dress well, and stand the... still whilst I do a little basting. Basting? Oh, no, you don't. You ain't going to pour no gravy over me. <laughs> Why, uh, basting is temporary stitches. Huh? Now, let me well, see. Hello uh... there, Molly. Hello, fi- Oh. Oh. <laughs> hello. <laughs> hello, Mr. Wilcox. Turn around, McGee. It's Mr. Wilcox. Hi, Harlow. Well, well, hello, Fibber. I didn't recognize... <laughs> oh, come on, come on, say it. <laughs> well, I, I, uh, I just wanted to tell you, if you're taking that motor tour this summer... <laughs> Excuse me. You mustn't forget to take along some Johnson's darn you. <laughs> well, thank you for reminding us, Mr. Wilcox. We'll do that. <laughs> I hope so, because, as you know, Carnew will protect the finish from all road dust and rain and scratches. 
And Fibber can make the whole car shine like new with just a few minutes' work before you leave your hotel. Morning. <laughs> of course, all you have to do is apply it. <laughs> Let it dry and wipe it off. Oh, get a hold of yourself. <laughs> There's your car gleaming like a car. <laughs> well, as I always say, Johnson's car new is as sensational for cars <laughs> as Johnson's glow coat is for floors and linoleum. <laughs> oh, boy, Fibber, do you look funny. <laughs> That absolutely doesn't. Take this dress off of me, Molly. Take it oh, off. Oh, now, take it easy, dearie. Oh. It won't be long now. And besides, there isn't much likelihood of anybody else coming in to embarrass you because... Take it off. Anybody at home Oh, it's Mrs. Uppington, Molly. Just if she sees me in this... Take dress. it easy, McGee. She wouldn't talk. Oh, no. She's about as close-mouthed as a steam shovel. <laughs> and she digs up more dirt, too. <laughs> Now, calm yourself, dearie. Be nice to her, because I want her advice on this dress. Huh? I won't take it, but I want to hear it. <laughs> Come in. Oh, how do you do, my dear? And Mr. McGee. Oh, <laughs> it is Mr. McGee, isn't it? <laughs> yes, the dear boy is helping me with my new dress. Oh, a model husband. <laughs> or is he just being a silly girl? <laughs> how do you like the dress, Mrs. Uppington? Oh, my, it's so charming, so flattering, so chic. So what? <laughs> and those puffed sleeves are lovely, my dear. Over here, let me set them in a little closer. Uh, have you some pins? Yes, here. Oh, thank you. You see, the real leg of mutton shoes. What do you know about it, Uppy? You do so much more hawing than you do hemming. Ouch! <laughs> I got where you're sticking them pins. Oh. oh, excuse me. There, now you see, Mr. McGee? Yes, that does look better, doesn't it? Turn around, dearie, slowly. Now, look here, you two. I positively refuse to stand here much longer. Are you just trying to make me look foolish? Why, Mr. McGee, how can you say such a thing? Well... Make you look foolish? Yeah. <laughs> really, what a superfluous gesture. <laughs> <laughs> now, Mrs. McGee, I think the sides here are small gore right here. Careful, Uppy, you gored me enough. Ow! Hey, now, cut that out, Uppy. You jagged me again. Oh, really? So sorry. I think I see what you mean, Mrs. Uppington. Now, how about the skirt? Oh, he'll be all right for a minute or two, won't you, Mr. McGee? Hey, what do you mean? You calling me a skirt? Skirt? Ow! Now, look here, Uppy. I don't mind you're making a stab at helping Molly, but stab the dress, not me. You think I'm full of sawdust? Yes, you little doll, you. Oh. <laughs> now, keep quiet for just another minute. Well. How's the length of the skirt, Abigail? Well, personally, my dear, I'd like to see it a bit shorter, like this. Oh, another pin, please. I should say about up to here. Oh! I'll be one more jab like that. Of course, it's difficult to estimate the length of the skirt, Mrs. McGee. Those trouser legs of Mr. McGee's are a bit distracting, you know. (laughs) Trousers have always been kind of distracting to you, ain't they, Uppy? Ah, McGee. (laughs) Is that any way to talk to a lady now? Uh, Never mind, Mrs. McGee. Good day, my dear. And uh, Mr. McGee. Yes. I would suggest that you take that dress off before you stretch it too much. What do you mean? They're not wearing bustles this season. Good day. <laughs> take this thing off, Molly. I'm going down to the pool room where men are men and a guy can strike a match on his pants. <laughs> <laughs> 
You get a dressmaker someplace. But my dressmaker doesn't answer the phone. Well, get another one. Ask somebody. Look in the classified. Look in the want ad. That's a good idea. Run out on the porch and get the paper, will you, dearie? In this Deanna Durbin outfit? Oh, no, sir. You go out and get the paper. Don't be silly. Here, put on my hat with the veil and nobody will know it. Oh. I've got to go upstairs and find another symbol to finish this set. Dead rat, dead. Now, oh, where'd that kid throw that paper? He ought to carry a little shovel with him and bury the paper under a rose bush where nobody <laughs> Oh, here it is. Thank goodness nobody saw me. Oh, Dad, rat that door. Shut. Oh, it's locked. If they think there was... Hey, Molly, let me in. I ain't got no key, and even if I did, I couldn't get at it. Hey, Molly. Oh, shut. First I get wangled into putting on a dress, and then I get razzed by all my friends, and now I get locked out. <laughs> Oh, Mrs. Roosevelt, if this is your day, you're welcome to it. Open the King's men singing Ezekiel's saw the wheel. Ezekiel saw the wheel in 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 the middle in the middle of the air. Ezekiel saw the wheel way up in the middle of the air. Ezekiel saw the wheel. Way in the middle of the air, the little wheel run by faith, and the big wheel run by the grace of God. It's a wheel and a wheel and a wheel and a wheel. Way in the middle of the air, some go to church for to sing and shout. Way in the middle of the air, before six months it all turned out. Way in the middle of the air. Ezekiel saw the wheel, way up in the middle of the air. Ezekiel saw the wheel, way in the middle of the air. The little wheel run by faith, and the big wheel run by the grace of God. There's a wheel and a wheel and a wheel and a wheel. Way in the middle of the air. Let me tell you what a hypocrite will do. Way in the middle of the air. He'll talk about me, he'll talk about you. Way in the middle of the air. Ezekiel saw the wheel. Way in the middle of the air. Is he good for the wheel? Way in the middle of the air. The little wheel run by faith and the big wheel run by the grace of God. My children, one of these days, my twelve o'clock. Way up in the middle of the air. This whole wide world and gonna reveal and rock. Like daddy in his rocking chair. Ezekiel's on the wheel, rocking away up in the middle of the air. Ezekiel's on the wheel, rocking away in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle of the air. Ezekiel's on the wheel, way up in the middle of the air. Ezekiel's on the wheel, way in the middle of the air. The little wheel run by faith, and the big wheel run by the grace of God. There's a wheel and a wheel and a wheel and a wheel. Way in the middle of the Your boyfriend. I'm locked out. Oh, oh uh, madam. Excuse me, but I don't think the McGee's are at home. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> no, I, I imagine they've gone downtown shopping. Yes, they're leaving on their vacation next week. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I'm sure somebody must be home. Uh, are you a relative of McGee's, lady? Your voice has a familiar ring. Well, uh, are you Mr. Gildersleeve, the breezy young man who lives next door? <laughs> Why? Why, yes, I am. Breezy, eh? Mm-hmm. Didn't McGee say that I was breezy? Well, not exactly. <laughs> he used the word windy. <laughs> Uh, incidentally, lady, I uh, I might as well tell you that if you're trying to sell the McGee something, you're out of luck. Is that so? Oh, yes. <laughs> that little squirt McGee thinks the eagle on a quarter is the world's most beautiful creature. <laughs> He's got a bird sanctuary in his pants pocket. <laughs> How amusing. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Oh, but come, come. A pretty girl like you. Mm-hmm. And I'll bet you are pretty under that veil. Oh, sure. <laughs> why, why, you can't spend the afternoon beating on people's front doors. Uh, let's walk down to the drugstore and get a soda, eh? <laughs> why, uh, we, might, uh, we might even get to be very good friends. Oh, really, I couldn't. My, my husband, you know, he's very jealous. Uh? The last man I heard of earth was found floating down the river. <laughs> what? He, he was? Yeah. And I was with him. He had a lovely little canoe. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that was very good, yeah. <laughs> but uh, what was your name again? Uh, don't tell me now. Uh, let me guess. Uh, Gertrude? No. No. Uh, Lorraine? No. Uh, Beatrice? No. Well, it must be Daisy because you won't tell. <laughs> For goodness sake, McGee. Oh, hello, Mr. Gillis. Hello, Mrs. McGee. I, uh, I, I'm just talking to your charming little visitor here. Uh, now tell me, to paraphrase an old joke, who is this lady you see me with tonight? <laughs> that's no lady, that's me husband. <laughs> McGee! Crazy, eh? <laughs> Boy, wait till your wife hears about this Gildersleeve. <laughs> or do you want to pay me so much a month to keep quiet? <laughs> You're a hard man, McGee. <laughs> if you ever tell my wife... <laughs> oh, go on. I knew it was you all the time. <laughs> you never know such a thing. I did, too. <laughs> hey, Molly, you know what Gildersleeve Now, look, McGee, me? we've no time to talk. Huh? I got a dressmaker on the telephone, and she says to come right over. She can't get away to come here. Okay, wait till I run in and get out of this dress. No, no, no. There's no time for that. What? There'll be a cab here in a minute. I've got that dress basted up just where I want. Molly, I can't parade around town in this thing. Oh, boy, this is rich. Huh? Wait till I tell the boys down at the Elks. This will be something for them to get their teeth into. <laughs> come on, McGee. Here's our taxi Molly, cab. I can't go in oh, the taxi cab. Oh, you've got to. Here. Let me take your arm so you won't trip and tear my dress. Oh, I have two, ladies. Oh, I forgot the street number, dearie, but it's right next door to the hospital. To the Whistful Vista Hospital, driver, and hurry. Uh, hospital? Uh, just a minute, driver. Yeah? Uh, you better drive fast. That lady with the veil is, uh, well, you know. <laughs> oh, I get you, buddy. I'm a family man myself, and I know an emergency when I see it. Yes, I thought you would. <laughs> Isn't he driving awfully fast, dearie? I'll say he is. We just went through a stoplight. I better tell him to slow down. Oh, driver. Driver. 
Hold everything, lady. I'll get you there in time. I've got five myself. <laughs> Hey, Molly, this dress is still full of pins, you know what? I can't see... Ouch! Oh, Dad Rattus, I wouldn't go through this again for anything in the world. <laughs> I know just how you feel, lady. That's what my wife says every time. downtown with me? Where are you going, dearie? I gotta go to a music store and get a piece of music and then come home and start practicing. What music? Uh, it's a request number. <laughs> Next week being our last show for the summer, people have been writing in from all over the country saying they could hardly wait to hear my swan song. <laughs> Good night. Good night, all. <laughs> Marlowe Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat, inviting you all to join us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, we wrap up the week with Gunsmoke, followed by Life with Luigi. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.